Welcome back to another episode of You Heard What? (laughs) I know I've been gone for a while, but fret not, I'm finally back and I missed you too. (laughs) On today's episode of Monkeying Around, if you guessed this episode is about monkeypox, then you guessed right. And how could I not? It's all over the media and it's especially all over Twitter, especially those who love to spin conspiracy theories. <laughs> and so in today's episode, we'll be covering a little bit about the virology and science around monkeypox, as well as the history and epidemiology of monkeypox when it was first discovered in captive animals in the late 1950s. And then a decade later, when we discovered the very first human case of monkeypox, which really started to worry the World Health Organization as they started to ramp up their smallpox eradication program. And then finally, I'll be going through 10 of my favorite Twitter conspiracy theories so far around monkeypox and address them and answer them. Um, And I'll admit they were probably the first 10 or 15 that I came across, but they were already so wild that I just had to stop scrolling before I threw my phone across the room. (laughs) So sit back, relax, and we'll be back right after this short break. The first thing we're going to start talking about is the virology and science behind monkeypox virus. This is before we get into the more interesting and exciting things such as the history and epidemiology of monkeypox. And so monkeypox belongs to the Poxperidae family and the orthopox virus genus. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with taxonomy, basically you start your lowest level, which is a species, and you move one level up to reach your genus. And then you move up another level and that's your family. Now with viruses, it gets a little bit tricky because you might have some extra levels that you don't typically deal with in the animal kingdom. And so in this case, uh, with orthopox viruses, there's actually a subfamily between the family and the genus, and that's Cordopoxferae. But that's really neither here nor there. (laughs) And so within the orthopox virus genus, there are several viruses and some you may be familiar with more. And specifically, that is the two viruses that cause smallpox. So that's a variola major and variola minor cowpox, vaccinia, and monkeypox. And actually you'll probably hear often that monkeypox and smallpox are pretty similar, and that's actually definitely true, but they are two distinct viruses. You know, I've been hearing lately on Twitter that, oh, monkeypox is actually a variant of smallpox or was created from smallpox in like a lab, and that's just not true. (laughs) They're two distinct viruses. No matter how hard you try, you cannot create monkeypox from smallpox. Uh, There's an interesting study done back in 2001 actually to really just understand how similar is monkeypox to smallpox. And so in this study, they took a specific strain of a monkeypox from, I think it was the monkeypox Zaire strain, and they compared it to two strains of variola major and one strain of variola minor. So remember, there's two viruses that cause smallpox, and those are variola major and variola minor. And in the study, they found basically you know, genetically, they were almost 93% identical, um, especially in like the encoding and central enzymes and structural proteins of these viruses. And so, you know, they're very, actually very much identical, which actually then makes sense that clinically the symptoms is pretty similar between smallpox and monkeypox with one major difference. In monkeypox, we typically will see the presence of lymphadenopathy. I'll admit I had to repeat that word at least 10 to 15 times before I was able to pronounce it, and I'm worried that I'm going to mispronounce it again. So that word, which basically means, you know, swelling or inflammation of your lymph nodes. 
Now, in terms of the incubation period, you know, it's believed monkeypox incubation period can last anywhere from five to 21 days. So incubation period is, you know, from when you're exposed to the virus and when you actually start to develop in, uh, symptoms. And once an individual starts to develop symptoms, usually this will be in the form of a fever. This fever can last anywhere from one to three days. And then they'll start to develop a rash and that rash can last anywhere from two to four weeks. Now the illness or symptoms are often self-limiting, meaning the symptoms will just go away on their own, you know, within two to three weeks. Now that's not to say the rashes, the rash that develops and um, the poxes, you know, the, the little bumps basically, if you've seen the pictures, <laughs> are actually, you know, pretty painful and itchy. So that's not to say it's not a mild disease, but, you know, typically, if you're not immunocompromised or young or the elderly, you know, the illness is often self-limiting. And so, you know, at least for now, as much as we know about monkeypox, you know, your symptoms will go away within two to three weeks. Now, there are actually two clades of monkeypox. And so what I mean by clades, you know, if you've ever seen a phylogenetic tree, so essentially, you know, those fancy looking diagrams where you have all these branches leading off to a bunch of text. So each of the ends of those nodes of the branches basically indicate a specific subspecies or strain of a virus. And so basically a clade is a collection or grouping of these subspecies on the phylogenetic tree. Anyways, basically all you need to know is there are two distinct clades of monkeypox. There's the West African clade and then the Congo Basin or Central African clade. And actually, interestingly, there's been some conversation about renaming these clades, given the stigma that always arises when you name viruses or infections or diseases from the places they were either originated from or more so where they were first discovered or identified. And between these two clades, the West African clade is believed to be uh, leading often to milder disease and the case fatality rate is as around 6%. And it's also less transmissible than the Congo Basin or Central African clade. In comparison, the Central African clade uh, is believed to have a much higher R naught, and also leads to more severe disease with, uh, you know, an average or mean case fatality rate as much as 11%. Now, interestingly, with the current ongoing outbreak globally, it's believed most of these cases, from what I remember reading last, now this might have changed, <laughs> uh, was that most of these infections uh, all um, were from the West African clade. Now, monkeypox is largely a zoonotic disease, meaning it's primarily spread from animal to human. Now, that's probably familiar now with COVID-19. And so basically, these uh, events where an animal infects a human are known as spillover events. And so basically what that means is this virus jumps from an infected animal into a human. And so this is typically through, you know, maybe eating or the hunting or consumption of wild meat or bush meat. Um, you know, it was first believed it was only a disease that was afflicting monkeys, but through a lot of research, we realized actually the reservoir is more likely uh, rodents. And by reservoir, I mean, you know, the animal population in the wild, you know, in nature that does carry uh, this virus in nature. And early on when monkeypox is being intensely investigated, especially in human populations, the routes of transmission or the modes of infection were delineated between primary and secondary infection. And primary infection was what I just described, you know, these zoonotic events or zoonoses where an individual gets infected from an animal. And then secondary infections were these transmission events between individuals or humans. 
And so human to human transmission is primarily facilitated through, you know, respiratory droplets, exposure to bodily fluids, as well as touching the lesion material. So remember we talked about those poxes that develop on the skin. Those are basically referred to as lesions. And so touching those lesions or being exposed to those lesions in some way could expose you to contracting or being infected with monkeypox. Now that we've covered the science and virology behind monkeypox, let's actually get into the history because the history was really interesting to me when I was doing this research. It takes about 10 years between the initial discovery of monkeypox in monkeys to actually identifying human monkeypox cases. So grab your drink of choice, sit back and relax, and we'll be back after this short break. The monkeypox has a pretty curious history, if you ask me. <laughs> it was first discovered in 1958 at the State Serum Institute in Copenhagen, Denmark. Now, for those who don't know the State Serum Institute, they have a pretty long and amazing history. It was It's a long-standing public health lab that was founded in the early 1900s. By the 1950s, this uh, Serum Institute, also known as SSI, was tasked with developing and producing polio vaccines. And actually, SSI enabled Denmark to be the very first European country to offer a vaccine to its population. The discovery was published by Preben von Magnus and colleagues. Now, Preben von Magnus was a famous Danish virologist at the time. You know, he was known for his work on influenza, the polio vaccine, and soon to be monkeypox. And in this report, they described where he noticed essentially a pox-like virus afflicting their crab-eating macaques. Now, this is a time where the polio vaccine trials were actually quite successful around the early 1950s, I believe 1954. And as a result, large numbers of monkeys are being captured from the wild in Africa and Asia and sent to laboratories in Europe and North America. where They would actually use cultured monkey kidney cells to produce the polio vaccine. And in this paper, they detailed how they had undergone or endured two outbreaks over the summer and fall in a facility where they were performing um, this research. Now, I should note that the monkeys themselves were never vaccinated with the polio vaccine. Um, that seems to be a, a long-standing conspiracy theory that's been propagating recently with conspiracy theorists on Twitter <laughs> around monkeypox, you know, trying to somehow draw parallels if there is any um, between the polio vaccine, the COVID vaccine, and how, you know, all of this is, all of these vaccines cause monkeypox, which is simply not true. Actually, if you read the paper, uh, you'll see that the monkeys were prophylactically injected with penicillin and streptomycin. So these are two antibiotics. And that was really all they were treated with upon arrival. And so in this, in this uh, outbreak investigation, they noticed that two outbreaks occurred among monkeys living in uh, essentially building A and building B at the facility. And so that was already an interesting point because basically that meant these monkeys had never interacted. Um, There's never any interaction between the colonies and the outbreaks were actually separated by a few months. And so the first outbreak was in June of 1958 among monkeys that were received from Singapore. Um, actually that shipment had arrived in April. And it wasn't until the end of the month when they started to notice a pox-like skin eruption in one of the monkeys. And so this started to prompt an investigation or more so a question of, well, well what is this? <laughs> this is a little concerning. <laughs> and the following week, additional animals also started to develop pox-like eruptions. And so this is definitely started to cause some concern among the researchers. And so through that initial investigation, they, you know, they basically found that several monkeys had developed these pox-like eruptions and that, you know, essentially this infection or outbreak occurred over the course of two weeks. 
And then, interestingly, four months later, when another shipment of monkeys had arrived from Singapore, there was yet a second outbreak. And once again, this was definitely concerning. And so what they did was they investigated the specimens that were drawn from the monkeys, and they recognized that these poxes were not from smallpox, but something very closely related to it. And hence the discovery of monkeypox. <laughs> Now, this was all happening just as the WHO was planning to ramp up their smallpox eradication program. It was definitely an oh moment for the World Health Organization. It was actually just a few years before they officially announced their 10-year smallpox eradication program. And so obviously when that program officially was kicked off, individuals within the smallpox eradication unit were on notice that this could actually cause a threat to their program or more so to the general goals of just eradicating smallpox around the world. Because obviously one of the big keys to successfully eradicating an infectious disease is that there are no known animal reservoirs that exist in the world. And if you're starting to see a monkey pox emerging within non-human primates, well, the next question is, well, is there some kind of animal reservoir we just simply haven't discovered yet for smallpox? And so one of the very early research questions of the eradication unit was to see, well, if we infect monkeys with smallpox experimentally, can they actually then go ahead and transmit it to other monkeys? And interesting, that research actually concluded, well, while they can be infected with smallpox, it basically the monkey serves a dead end host. They can no longer transmit it beyond themselves. And so this already was a little bit reassuring for the smallpox eradication unit that, you know what, we could continue as planned because at least so far we know smallpox is not a threat in terms of existing within animal reservoir populations. Now, of course, with the discovery of monkeypox, the next question is, well, so far we haven't seen monkeypox in humans, at least at this point in time. <laughs> and so let's better understand this disease. And so one of the big questions was, well, what is the incidence of monkeypox? And so when the smallpox eradication program had commenced, one of the first things that the WHO did was send out an inquiry to 26 major biological institutions across 10 countries. And so these labs are known for actually handling large monkey colonies, you know, making up a large proportion of the research facilities across the world that handled monkeys or non-human primates for research. And what the WHO wanted to know was, well, how often were they witnessing monkeypox and what species of monkeys and whether there were any known infections in humans? Obviously, that was one of the biggest questions. And interestingly, what that initial inquiry resulted in was retrospectively discovering additional monkeypox outbreaks among captive monkeys, specifically in several labs in the US, as well as the Netherlands. And all of these monkeys had originated from largely Asia, including India, the Philippines, Malaysia, and Singapore. And so the next obvious question or hypothesis was, well, clearly Asia must be endemic or house the reservoir for monkeypox. And so this led to another WHO research study where they conducted a very large Sarah survey between 1967 and 1969. And so basically Sarah survey 
it sounds fancy, but it's not. <laughs> Basically, what you do is you collect blood samples at a you know quote unquote population level, and you test it for let's say an antibody to see if there's any ever history of an infection from a pathogen of interest, the pathogen that you're studying. And so this Sarah survey was conducted across 1,600 monkeys or specimens that basically represented 1,600 monkeys um, from labs, um, largely in Asia. So these are labs in India, Japan, the Philippines, Indonesia, and Thailand. Now, this is as the research was going on, two additional surveys were actually tacked on after there was the first ever human case of monkeypox discovered. Now, more on that later. <laughs> now, interestingly, across what ultimately was 2,000 samples, None of these samples actually came up with any strong positive neutralizing antibodies against monkeypox. And so it led to some hypotheses, some more so on just maybe the studies were just not adequately conducted. Maybe the test they were using was not good at testing for antibodies. Or maybe, you know, immunity isn't conferred for more than a year. You know, we know with smallpox, if you get infected, you have lifelong immunity. Maybe the same couldn't be said for monkeypox or at least among non-human primates. Or perhaps the way they were sampling the monkeys or actually drawing the physical blood specimens were just not adequate. Or another hypothesis was, well, maybe the monkeys are just being affected by other animals during transit. That's definitely possible. And so there are still many unanswered questions. And this all largely occurred during a decade where there was no evidence of human monkey pox infections. However, that was all soon to change. Dun dun! Now keep in mind, as I said, so far in the 1960s, there were no human cases ever reported of monkeypox, or at least none that were ever identified. It wasn't until 1970 that the first human monkeypox case was discovered, and it was specifically in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was actually more so in an infant, and this case was burned up in a case report or in a bulletin by the World Health Organization. And so a little history about what happened there. So prior to this infant being admitted, um, the infant lived in, in Bukenda village and you know he then traveled with his mother and several siblings to another village called Balanda which was some 100 kilometers away to visit a maternal grandmother it was only upon arrival when he started to develop a fever some two days later and, and so when he started to develop a fever he was taken to uh, another neighboring town in Basakunsu and so on September 1st he was brought to and admitted to Basakunsu hospital in Equatorial province in the DRC where he was suspected of contracting smallpox given his illness and so Basakutsu Hospital, it was known as a governmental hospital located in the town. It had, you know, some 150 beds. It was staffed by a single physician. <laughs> Imagine that, 150 beds in a single physician, um, as well as a paramedical and technical personnel. And so this hospital typically, you know, dealt with just, you know, basic treatments for common ailments and also often sometimes offered vaccination against smallpox by nurses. Now, the infant belonged to a bigger family with many siblings. It was noted that the entire family had actually already been vaccinated against smallpox just one year prior to this incident. And so the WHO team that was there, you know, investigating this outbreak or at least this single case of monkeypox sampled, you know, all the villagers they could get in both Bokinda and Balanda, as well as neighboring villages. And so virtually what was interesting was that virtually all the inhabitants either were vaccinated against smallpox or had shown some scars of previously being infected with smallpox. And the thing with smallpox that we know is that it confers lifelong immunity. And so this already was setting off 
obviously some interesting um, questions as to where this monkeypox case originated from. And specimens were sent off to the WHO Smallpox Reference Center in Moscow, where they identified the virus, something that was very similar to monkeypox, but definitely was not smallpox. And so as we know by then, the smallpox community was already really aware of monkeypox. And so... And the next question was to understand, you know, what was the ecology of monkeypox uh, among, you know, the other animals in the area. And so they managed to capture 25 monkeys near the villages and examine them for any signs of pox marks. And they also drew specimens from several of the monkeys and sent them off to labs to understand, you know, was there any history of infection with monkeypox? And actually those findings were discussed in that previous series survey I'd spoken about just a few minutes ago. And in that report, they really nicely detailed that, you know, the monkeys were, you know, typically hunted and consumed uh, either for a source of food or, you know, traded for money. And so the meat of the monkeys are typically eaten in the form of a stew or they would even be smoked and sold in, you know, the local food markets. Now, given the predation of the monkeys, the monkeys typically steered clear of the villages. They don't want to be anywhere near the villages <laughs> given, you know, they were typically hunted for. Now, it was noted that on one occasion when the authors were visiting a village, there was a hunter who had returned with a freshly captured and killed monkeys. And as soon as he had returned, you know, children really ran to him and, you know, started playing with the monkeys, essentially, or the monkey carcasses. And sorry for the graphic imagery. <laughs> um, and so this could have been one way that perhaps, you know, pox virus, this pox virus had jumped from an animal to a human. Because, you know, people always ask, you know, how, you know, how does this spillover, you know, events exactly occur? And that's just one great example, you know, where you're touching or handling these carcasses where you, for all you know, this animal could be infected with a pathogen that you, you just don't know. And then the final piece of the outbreak investigation was, you know, the team interviewed individuals in the communities to understand, you know, had they ever come across a monkey uh, showing signs of a pox-like disease. And so interestingly, from all those interviews, they came across two instances. And so one was a missionary man who had been living you know, in the area for more than 30 years. <laughs> and he had noted that's really specifically in a smallpox outbreak two years prior that they, he had killed a monkey in the forest uh, just about 10 kilometers from Bokenda village. And he had stated that the whole body of this particular monkey was literally covered you know, from head to toe with uh, a rash that was very characteristic of smallpox, at least to what the man believed was a smallpox. And then there was a second instance where another individual had also come across a monkey who was seen with a uh, basically a rash and that animal was also killed uh, just a year prior actually in Bokenda village where the uh, the first monkeypox um, case had originated from. And so of course, this very first instance of a human monkeypox had started to set off some alarm bells and warranted much further investigation to understand just you know, the spread of monkeypox was, it, you know, going undetected in other parts of the world, or at least, you know, in other parts of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, in the ensuing decade after the very first human monkeypox case was recorded and investigated, there were very few human monkeypox cases to follow from 1970 to 1979. I think about 50 to 54 cases were further identified. And so this made it a pretty rare zoonosis. 
However, in 1979, the World Health Organization finally achieved one of its greatest goals, which was smallpox eradication. And while there was no known animal reservoir for smallpox, one of the fears was around another pox virus called white pox, which had actually been incidentally once again discovered <laughs> when looking at wild animals and culturing for monkeypox virus. And in that, they had discovered white pox. However, white pox was so rare and there were never any human cases identified that it didn't really pose a real threat. Maybe we'll do another episode on smallpox and white pox because I think this is actually pretty interesting. And in this report, in the 1979 report of achieving smallpox eradication, one of the big recommendations was further investigation and surveillance into monkeypox. One of the fears was by eradicating smallpox that somehow monkeypox would take over this gap in the ecological niche. And so one of the final recommendations of the WHO unit that was tasked with eradicating smallpox was setting up and further investigating monkeypox cases from 1980 to 1985. In addition to also understanding the human epidemiology of monkeypox in the next following years, one of the other tasks the World Health Organization had given itself was to understand the ecology of monkeypox virus, meaning understanding, you know, what is the disease incidence or burden of monkeypox in the surrounding animal populations where we believe monkeypox to be endemic. And this is especially interesting given the previous sero surveys that were done in primate populations where they were finding you know, very little evidence for monkeypox as being out in the wild, at least among the wild non-human primates. And so in 1988, the World Health Organization published a study on monkeypox virus ecology, where they wanted to understand better what is the distribution of monkeypox virus in the animal populations surrounding the believed endemic areas for monkeypox. And so what they found was really interesting, that actually monkeypox was prevalent in two species of rodents, specifically the sun squirrel and the rope squirrel. And more so what they found in the sun squirrel were two instances where they were able to isolate live virus. And so this shifted the conversation from the animal reservoir population being monkeys to rodents. And to this day, we still don't entirely know the exact animal reservoir for monkeypox, but given continued instances of transmission of monkeypox among other rodent species, it is more likely that perhaps the animal reservoir population for monkeypox is rodents and not actually monkeys. So I guess rodent pox or rat pox doesn't have as nice of a ring to it as monkeypox. <laughs> Now, this theory is probably best supported by the fact that in 2003, we have our very first outbreak of human monkeypox outside of the endemic areas. So between 1970, when we discover our very first human monkeypox case in present day Democratic Republic of Congo through up to 2003, all of the outbreaks of monkeypox that we do have are very small and limited and often occur in very remote and rural areas or villages in the endemic countries. So these are countries including Cameroon, Cote d'Ivoire, Liberia, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Gabon, and the Republic of Congo. And in 2003, we, as I said, we have an outbreak of human monkeypox that led to 47 confirmed and probable cases. And through intensive investigation by the CDC, <laughs> what they found was that these human cases were all infected through pet prairie dogs. 
You heard that right. <laughs> Prairie dogs, <laughs> not monkeys <laughs> for one. And so the very first question and the most obvious question and answer is no, pet prairie dogs or prairie dogs in general are not endemic to monkeypox, or rather they're not a species that typically carries or supports monkeypox out in the wild, but rather that as many other instances, these prairie dogs became infected during shipment and handling in larger animal facilities where many other species of animals were also being handled. And through intensive traceback studies, so this is where they basically work backwards from where the animals were last sold or last uh, handled to previous facilities they were uh, housed in or transported through, or the other animals or things they were exposed to in those time periods to better understand where they contracted monkeypox. And through that study, what they found was these prairie dogs were at some point arriving through a facility at the same time these Gambian giant rats were also being handled. And so then, so the shipment of Gambian giant rats actually came from Ghana, a place that was more likely to be endemic for monkeypox. And so, and so once again, in this outbreak, monkeys were not at all implicated in this outbreak of human monkeypox. Rather, it was a series of unfortunate events where these giant rats most likely infected the prairie dogs and then the prairie dogs then transmitted on to humans. Now fast forward from 2003 to today, we're enduring once again another monkeypox outbreak, but now it's occurring at this global scale where they're, you know, it's popping up in all these places. We've never seen monkeypox. As far as we know, these places are not endemic for monkeypox. There's no known animal reservoir that resides in these areas. And so the very first case that was detected, not to say that was the first case that, you know, emerged was in May 7th uh, of this year in the United Kingdom. And in the, that initial outbreak in May 7th in the United Kingdom, there were nine cases that were confirmed to have monkeypox and eight of those nine cases had no travel history and no relation to any travel related cases um, that dated back to that initial May 7th uh, case. Now, since then, according to the European CDC uh, report in the European Union, there is at least 118 cases of monkeypox, um, which is pretty alarming in terms of just the, the scale. But more so, you know, countries like Spain and Portugal are, you know, the hardest hit so far. In Spain, I think there's 51 confirmed cases and in Portugal, 37 cases. Um, and in both of these, uh, these are confirmed cases. There could be, you know, many more undetected cases. In the United Kingdom, now as of May 27th, there have been 101 confirmed cases. In the U.S., there's been 14 cases across uh, the U.S. as of May 29th. And once again, a lot of these individuals don't have any travel history, as far as we know, <laughs> traveling to places where monkeypox is an endemic. In terms of endemic countries, there have been outbreaks in uh, ongoing outbreaks in Cameroon, in the Central African Republic, in the DRC, and Nigeria. Um, specifically in uh, the DRC, there's been at least 1,200 cumulative cases between January 1st and May 1st of this year alone. And so there is an ongoing, much larger monkeypox outbreak uh, in um, the DRC. And it's unfortunate that, you know, no one was really taking notice <laughs> until it started to afflict these non-endemic and largely, you know, westernized countries. 
Now, the real worry, at least from an epidemiological standpoint in terms of monkeypox is, you know, one, obviously the spread of monkeypox in non-endemic areas. And that usually in itself wouldn't necessarily be a concern because, you know, the importation of disease into non-endemic areas is just a reality in today's world, you know, especially with globalization and the ability to travel across very long distances through flights, you know, they fuel the spread of emerging infectious diseases. Um, And so that alone wouldn't be worrying. It's more so that, you know, the monkeypox is spreading an individual with no known history of traveling to places where monkeypox would be endemic or being in close contact with somebody who recently traveled to an endemic area. And so what does that mean? Well, that means could there be community spread that was going on undetected? You know, and this was the concern with, you know, think back to three years ago when COVID-19 was first emerging, where, you know, in the U.S., we started to see cases of COVID-19 popping up among individuals who had known no known travel history from China. And so there was already this worry of, well, look, COVID-19 is already spreading in these communities and there's nothing really linking them back to the places where COVID-19 was already, you know, emerging from. Despite these many unanswered questions around monkeypox, you know, there there isn't actually too much um, cause for alarm just yet, at least <laughs> with monkeypox. You know, it's not in any way similar to COVID-19. And I don't think at least just yet that monkeypox is going to spread to the level of COVID-19. You know, for one, monkeypox is a DNA virus, which means, you know, they're much more stable and evolve much slower than RNA viruses, which is SARS-CoV-2. And so just that alone, I think, you know, isn't necessarily cause for alarm that somehow monkeypox has evolved or, you know, quote unquote, mutated (laughs) to become more infectious or in any way more transmissible than, you know, the the monkeypox strains we've dealt with in the past. That being said, it hasn't stopped a lot of conspiracy theorists from Twitter to, you know, to start spreading a lot of misinformation and disinformation, which seems to be the norm now, unfortunately, uh, this day and age. Which is why I rounded up my top 10 favorite conspiracy theories that I pulled so far from Twitter. Um, And a lot of them are just pretty outrageous and kind of funny. And so let's start with the very first one. So the first one, this person said, quote, smallpox here already with the monkeypox variant, end quote. Well, as I said earlier, while smallpox and monkeypox are actually pretty similar, they are actually still two distinct different viruses. For one, smallpox was eradicated in the 80s. Um, In fact, you can go ahead and read the World Health Assembly's declaration of declaring the world free of smallpox uh, on May 8th in 1980, you know, thanks to the, the many efforts of the World Health Organization through mass vaccination campaigns against smallpox. And so, you know, smallpox isn't just running rampant <laughs> across the world. Um, and as I said before, again, you know, monkeypox is not a variant of smallpox. It's just genetically similar and belongs to the same, you know, family and genus of um, orthopox viruses, but it is once again not just a strain or variant of smallpox. Number two, quote, moreover, scientists have now demonstrated that it's easy enough to synthesize smallpox variants such as horsepox, parentheses, or gosh, monkeypox, question mark, end quote. So <laughs> this one seems to have its roots in maybe, I don't know if they're alluding to like gain of function research. This is something I've heard a lot in the past, you know, around COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, that SARS-CoV-2 was, you know, engineered in a lab and it's all thanks to, you know, gain of function research, which 
you know, the people who are propagating that conspiracy theory have no clue what gain of function research is in any way, shape or form. Um, and I'm here to say, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't you can't create a monkeypox virus from a smallpox virus. You know, it's not like cooking or if I substitute, you know, one vinegar for another. You know, great example. I was making spring rolls earlier this week and it called for rice vinegar. And when I pulled the rice vinegar out of my pantry, it just did not look all right. <laughs> I was like, this is way past its expiration. And I swapped it out just for regular white vinegar and it did the job. I still had the same dish and the same dip at the end of the day. But viruses, on the other hand, do not function or work the same way. And so unfortunately, or I should say fortunately, you know, I can't create a monkeypox virus from a smallpox virus and vice versa. Number three, and so they were actually responding to posts from SABC News um, where Nigeria was confirming 21 cases of monkeypox. And this person wrote, quote, because they are the source for the US-sponsored monkeypox manufacturing lab in Nigeria, end quote. Well, actually, no. You know, unfortunately for Nigeria, the country is endemic to monkeypox. They're definitely not experiencing their first monkeypox outbreak. Um, actually, if you go ahead and read the Nigerian CDC situation report for May 29th of this year, they actually really nicely tabulate you know, all the confirmed cases of monkeypox um, dating back to 2017. And so in 2017, they had 88 confirmed cases of monkeypox. In 2018, they had 49. In 2019, they had 47 cases. In 2020, they had eight cases. In 2021, they had 34 cases. And so all the way from September 2017 to May 29th of this year, they've had 247 confirmed cases. Um, and then in that same time period, they've even had 578 suspected cases of monkeypox. So no, there isn't a manufacturing lab in Nigeria that's sponsored by the U.S. state that's somehow, you know, manufacturing monkeypox. Like, I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> um, you know, again, once again, Nigeria, unfortunately, you know, is a, is a country that's endemic for monkeypox. You know, there is an animal reservoir out there that, you know, can continue to fuel the spread of monkeypox and, you know, through these spillover events. Number four. Quote, monkeypox, it's a disease, not a virus. It comes from huge amounts of mRNA and coronaviruses and vaccines, part of the CCP's virus program originating from the Wuhan lab, end quote. You know, this one's really sad because unfortunately what you realize too when you start going through a lot of conspiracy theories is they're typically rooted in a lot of hatred. So a lot of, you know, xenophobia and racism. And unfortunately this one is no different. You know, for one, as I said earlier, monkeypox is a DNA virus. So I don't understand how a DNA virus or a disease originating from a DNA virus, <laughs> you know, it could result from an mRNA technology or from an RNA virus. So, you know, as SARS, as we know, SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus. Um, and, you know, at least the majority of COVID-19 vaccine platforms are rooted, or at least the ones that are, you know, largely widely available are rooted on or based on mRNA platforms. So again, you know, unfortunately, this conspiracy theory makes no sense. Uh, it's flashy. It's racist, really, <laughs> at the end of the day, um, and unfortunate. Number five. Ooh, it's a Bill Gates one. You know, the conspiracy theorists love trashing Bill Gates, and I, I really don't understand why. <laughs> so, and this one reads, quote, Bill Gates warned about a pandemic and literally ran a coronavirus simulation in November of 2019. Then we got COVID. He warned of a smallpox terror attack in November 2021, and now we have one with monkeypox. 
Bill Gates is a Nostradamus. He's a terrorist, end quote. <laughs> so for one, and I think, I don't know if I ever talked about, you know, that coronavirus simulation uh, conspiracy theory. Um, again, I think it's just an unfortunate coincidence. Um, you know, and if you've heard me talk about COVID-19, you know, it, it wasn't a pandemic. It just happened to be, at least for those of us who work in the space, we knew the dangers and the worry around another coronavirus, you know, spilling over into the human population and causing, or at least spreading through the human population as quickly as COVID did. Um, you know, there was always the worry from SARS Classic originally, and then we had MERS. And so, you know, we were kind of already on notice that, you know, these coronaviruses, given what we know are, you know, pretty promiscuous, you know, they can, you know, they can jump through a lot of different species, through a lot of different hosts. And so they're definitely, you know, one to look out for in terms of, you know, future pandemics or future threats. <laughs> now, in terms of monkeypox, you know, here's the funny thing. A lot of industries, you know, they usually have simulations or tabletop exercises, at least in industries where there's, um, a lot of pressure to you know succeed or there's a lot at stake and so you're not going to just kind of like sit around and when something happens you just kind of pray and hope for the best <laughs> without practicing it beforehand and so outbreak response or pandemic preparedness is no different I mean, you know interestingly it actually takes a lot of specialties across a lot of different functions and sectors and so you know there's a lot that needs to be done interestingly so you know their post i think is i believe is speaking to you know there was the nuclear threat initiative who hosted a conference they host a lot of conferences around you know preparing for bio threats and running these tabletop exercises and so they held a conference last year where you know the scenario was there was this monkeypox strain essentially that was engineered <laughs> to be more virulent and deadly and that spread you know across the world to billions of individuals killing i think like 200 million people i mean again this was the exercise and so i think that's what <laughs> this conspiracy theory was reading to when you know interestingly they actually you know released a recent faq because i'm sure they've been unfortunately getting hounded by the conspiracy theorists and so they spoke to me like why did we choose something like monkeypox you know it was honestly a coincidence and so this is why we chose monkeypox <laughs> an unfortunate coincidence and so for one and this one actually makes a lot of sense and it was you know they wanted to select something that was characteristically different from SARS-CoV-2 especially for people who work in outbreak response you know they've been dealing with COVID-19 now for three years and so they wanted to really push the the participants of this tabletop exercise to really critically think about this hypothetical pandemic you know not fall back on what they were already doing especially in the last, last three years, and really start to think critically and, you know, learn something new. You know, that's the whole point of these tabletop exercises, not to, to show that you know what you're doing, but more so to actually make you learn and to, to really think about the, the decisions you're making, because at the end of the day, it's a tabletop exercise and no one's going to get hurt. And so that really makes sense then to choose something that's, you know, characteristically so different from SARS-CoV-2. And more so, you know, those of us in the space, again, you know, we are aware of monkeypox as a possible threat. It's not to say that, you know, yes, monkeypox, typically the outbreaks are pretty limited and, you know, it's not spreading to the scale of SARS-CoV-2, but that's not to say we, in that same year when they did that tabletop exercise, we had already dealt with, you know, several imported cases of monkeypox, both in the U.S. and the United Kingdom. So it's interesting that this time around, yes, it's, you know, obviously it's spreading at a much um, greater scale that it's this time around that the conspiracy theories are coming out of the woodworks and, you know, unfortunately spreading a lot of information around this. And so number six, <laughs> number six is another anti-vax uh, 
talking point, if you will. And it reads, quote, I know I'm early, but I'm also anti-monkeypox jab, <laughs> end quote. Well, you know, I don't know if they realize this, but there actually isn't, as far as I know, a monkeypox vaccine. Um, fortunately, as I discussed previously, it, you know, the smallpox vaccine is actually 85% effective from previous studies against monkeypox infection. And so, you know, <laughs> I think I posted this on my Instagram too. For that person who was posting it, you know, if you were born, you know, in the 70s or earlier, you know, you most likely already got, quote unquote, the monkeypox jab. You know, you were probably vaccinated against smallpox. And so you're actually protected against monkeypox. And um, that's actually one of the theories as to why we might be seeing such a spread of monkeypox, because we have, you know, these large cohorts of individuals. So groups of individuals who are born after a lot of Western countries ceased smallpox uh, vaccination, you know, at least in the, the general population who aren't protected against one smallpox because that's not really a threat anymore, but more so against monkeypox. And so, and one of the fears and hypotheses in the 1980s was, well, if we cease smallpox vaccination in areas endemic to monkeypox, will we see an increase in the incidence of the number of new cases of monkeypox in these areas over time? And while today we don't know for a fact that's the reason or the contributing factor or main cause as to why we're seeing all of a sudden these new cases of monkeypox upticking all over the world, it could be one of the many factors driving the increase in monkeypox cases. Interestingly, in Canada, they're actually thinking about, you know, pulling out at least some of the vaccines from the reserves and prophylactically vaccinating at least close contacts of individuals who did have monkeypox. Um, and, you know, using the smallpox vaccine as a, you know, prophylactic measure to, you know, ensure, you know, that they can stop the spread of monkeypox. But, you know, as far as I know, there is no monkeypox jab and I don't believe <laughs> there's one in development when, you know, we have a smallpox vaccine that's, you know, pretty effective one against obviously smallpox, but also monkeypox. All right, number seven. <laughs> and number seven actually used one of the same sources I used, which was the, the original case report from the 1950s, you know, detailing this uh, original outbreak of monkeypox uh, among the monkey, um, the monkey colonies in that research lab. And it, it reads, quote, first outbreak of monkeypox was detected in 1958 in monkeys that were used for polio vaccine research, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> What a coincidence, and what a coincidence with the parallels today. Are the recent outbreaks only happening in COVID-19 vaccinated? End quote. So I'll admit, I don't entirely understand this conspiracy theory <laughs> that they're trying to spread here. You know, I believe what they're trying to basically infer that, you know, somehow the polio vaccine, like these monkeys that did have monkeypox were actually vaccinated for polio. And so somehow that led to monkeypox. You know, it's unfortunate, but they even had the original paper that I was referencing. <laughs> and if they actually bothered to read it, they would actually understand that these monkeys were not vaccinated for polio. Um, actually, they had just arrived from um, Singapore, you know, both, both batches of monkeys. And at the time, they were not vaccinated actually against anything, you know, including the polio vaccine. And so, or experimented in any way on yet. And so it just happened to be that they started dying off and realized, you know, something is going on. And obviously that led to, you know, the discovery of monkeypox. Um, so here I think it's an unfortunate case and a very clear case of confirmation bias where somebody's trying to basically confirm their own beliefs and 
unfortunately read just one part of a much larger paper and said, see, see, you know, this is, this is the truth. And unfortunately, we see that a lot uh, among individuals who are trying to purposely spread misinformation or disinformation or just, you know, trying to confirm their own suspicions or beliefs without actually, you know, really doing the work or especially reading their own papers they're trying to cite. Number eight, and number eight is a Pfizer hater. You, know, you always get those. <laughs> and this one says, quote, you can't create a brand new disease just because it's convenient for you. I'm not willing to accept that. People have been trying to tell me what to do for a year, two years now and successfully. Now I'm telling you, monkeypox is a cover up for vaccine side effects. The end. Hashtag Pfizer data, <laughs> end quote. Well, for one, as I've detailed already, it's not a brand new disease. Um, you know, it was first detected in animals in the 50s, and uh, the first human case that was detected was in the 1970s. And as far as I know, vaccines, you know, especially the COVID-19 vaccine, does not lead to development of lesions all over your body. And you know, it's also funny, the little Pfizer hashtag, a lot of individuals who are anti-vax, especially around the COVID vaccine, you know, they have so much hatred for Pfizer, which I don't understand. Like if you're gonna be anti-vax, like at least be anti-vax across the board. <laughs> There's so many vaccines out there for COVID-19, which is pretty amazing. There's at least, I think, like 10. So there's uh, Covishield, there's the AstraZeneca vaccine, Janssen, Moderna, Sinopharm, Sinovax, Barat Biotech, Covavax, and Nuvavaxoid. So there's all these other <laughs> companies you'd be going after. But for some reason, Pfizer somehow is this, you know, evil vaccine company or is, you know, this evil pharmaceutical company. I don't know what, what, you know, I don't know where all this hatred is coming from. <laughs> All right, number nine. So number nine actually reposted the World Health Organization bulletin. I think this is, yeah, so specifically the bulletin around monkeypox. And so they were commenting, saying, quote, the usual suspects are ramping up hysteria and playing straight into the hands of the World Health Organization and its supporters at the beginning of their pandemic treaty discussions. Question everything. Hashtag monkeypox, hashtag stop the treaty, end quote. <laughs> this is an interesting one because I feel like I actually need to do an episode on this separately around this, you know, quote unquote pandemic treaty. Um, I think it's a it's a really interesting uh, topic that goes into the whole issues of global health governance and, you know, the World Health Organization's role in terms of dealing with the pandemics and, you know, when COVID-19 was first emerging and the way the World Health Organization was handling the outbreak and trying to handle the outbreak that eventually led into the pandemic. A lot of people were not happy with it. But, you know, it goes into the issue of global health governance and, you know, what what can organizations actually do in such instances where they don't really have autonomy over countries because they're essentially a third party. But, you know, that's a separate discussion for another episode, but I would definitely love to get into it. But, you know, it's, it's just funny that <laughs> this is where this conspiracy theory is going, that somehow the World Health Organization, I, I don't know if, if they believe created monkeypox or unleashed monkeypox, but more so, you know, you know, their anger in terms of, oh, look at the World Health Organization. There they are again. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> they're kind of the global organization meant to respond to and coordinate efforts with health emergencies. So I don't I don't know what they expected. Did they expect the World Health Organization not to say anything? <laughs> Number 10, number 10 reads, quote, how does Chinese military genomics company, hashtag BGI, parentheses Beijing Genomics Institute, already have a monkeypox test ready to go? 
asking for a friend dot 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 hat tip two and they tagged their friend and wrote hashtag China exposed hashtag China. You know, once again, this is another instance of xenophobia and it's unfortunate. You know, we saw it, you know, rampant with COVID-19 and again, now we're seeing it with monkeypox. And so, you know, it's not really <laughs> anything nefarious happening here once again, because for one, monkeypox isn't new to the world, unlike COVID-19. Um, we already have so many sequences available from the various uh, strains of monkeypox. And so it's no surprise that a company with pretty advanced capability was able to develop a diagnostic that quickly. Anything, it just speaks to um, the many equity issues around, you know, neglected tropical diseases or re-emerging threats or, you know, diseases that essentially just not profitable. You know, it's actually a lot of these companies have the capabilities of developing diagnostics, preventatives or therapeutics for a lot of these diseases. But the reality is there's just really isn't a market for it. You know, either it's, you know, low profit because, you know, primarily afflicts low income countries or low and middle income countries. And so they can't, you know, charge the same if it was occurring, you know, on a larger scale in high income countries. And so there really is no demand, unfortunately. But at the flip side, you know, we do have organizations like DNDI, um, great, who, you know, they're essentially a nonprofit pharmaceutical company. Yes, those do exist. Where they essentially take, you know, expired or abandoned patents or develop their own technology to, you know, basically address this very large gap around neglected tropical diseases, or even more so the neglected, neglected <laughs> tropical diseases, and to address this very large uh, equity gap, essentially, in terms of, you know, life-saving uh, medicines. And so those were my top 10 favorite... <laughs> favorite air quotes <laughs> conspiracy theories on twitter around monkeypox i hope you enjoyed a little bit of history around uh you know when we first discovered monkeypox in animals and then when it first made its way into humans or at least when we first discovered a human case of monkeypox a little bit about the epidemiology you know both historically as well as now currently with the ongoing situation and a little bit about the science around it and you know if you have any more questions around monkeypox you know you can always shoot me a dm or send me a message i'll be happy to answer them in a future episode and you know perhaps i'll have a follow-up episode you know depending on where our monkeypox goes <laughs> in the world um hopefully it doesn't continue to spread um, but if it does i'll definitely do a follow-up episode and continue to provide more information as i can Otherwise, thanks as always for tuning in. Remember to subscribe, like, leave a comment. Once again, you can always DM me if you have any questions. Otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Bye.